Okay, welcome to the Never Iron Anything Comics Review Podcast, episode 131. We're going to take a peek under the drawing table and see what makes it tick. This week I'm joined again by two great artists who are here to teach me some lessons. First up, the cartoonist that most makes me wish there was still a Vertigo comics, Mr. Ian Ashcroft. Hello, dude. Hello. <laughs> Very formal. <laughs> <laughs> and um, a man who in, I, in the next 12 months I predict will become widely recognised for his art. An Englishman in Mary Land, Mr. Clifford Cummer. How are you, man? You're, you're not looking under. You're not looking under my drawing table, Esmond. <laughs> you haven't got any pants get your on. Filthy, get your filthy peepers out there. You know what I'm wearing. Well, that's very kind of you. I, I, thank you for saying that. I will. Uh, it's it's a race between Ian and I as to yeah, who's going to. So I've got you on. That's the only. That's the only reason I hang about with you too. Just trying to grab your coattails as you rise in the industry. <laughs> Ride the comet tail. <laughs> <laughs> that's why that's why it's why i'm so it's so nice all the time to ian I'm riding <laughs> no, the, we're all riding each other's coattails when is he nice to you <laughs> Pardon? when is he nice when to is you? he nice to me he's nice to me all the time he just hides it behind hateful comments and <laughs> emojis yeah, no, I like to keep you guessing, laddie. I like to keep you guessing. I never know whether it's going to be a frown or a kiss. <laughs> this is one of the two. That's all we do. Yeah. <laughs> it's called negging. Negging? Yeah. Is it? I'm not looking that up. No. Uh, later. Later. Yeah. I'll look it up. Well, you got me looking up earlier. Nano pets. Nano pets. <laughs> Nano pets. Yeah. Yeah. There's a story there. Uh, I did actually. Uh, I did. I did Google whether or not you can fuck nano pets, just out of curiosity. Um, but um, that's probably subject for another time. Mm. Uh, there's a story I, there. Now, well, that, that, that's interesting. And before we get onto the, the subject du jour, um, we, right. we're, uh, we're go- I'm going to catch up with you both towards the end. But I'd like to point out that you and I will may be doing some recording because we're going to be hanging about at the New York Comic Con in a few days. Yeah, looking forward to it. Yeah, yeah. that's that's going to be great. Um, I'm, mine is sort of somewhat of a uh, quick whirlwind tour up there over a couple of days. But, oh man, uh, a day's plenty. For... A day's plenty. Yeah, yeah, yeah I figured. Yeah. The yeah. Day, when you, it's a four day, and when you end up thinking I'm going to go back tomorrow, you think, oh fucking, I've got to trudge around again. You know, it's a bit like that you, sometimes. Yeah. Well, the only thing I'm looking forward to, let me be clear, because the New York Comic Con is is just a sort of it's just a cluster, right? It's just like you know, it's a disease fest. It's like a mosh pit at a Metallica yeah. concert. Um, the only thing I'm looking forward to is having dinner with you, Tony, and uh, and and guest. That's it. That's yeah. the only reason I'm coming up. Yeah. And even if I hadn't been able to get in, that would still have been the. Oh, only it's reason. going to be great to see you, man. And to be fair, you yeah. can. You can well, I know a nice little diner. We can sit and watch all the freaks go past. You know what I mean? Lovely. Yeah. Yep. Sounds good. Speaking I'm looking forward to it. Quickly of conventions. Um uh, last time I saw you in was at Bridlington. Yeah, 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 that was quite good, wasn't it? That you gave us that um free tables and everything. Yeah. It was it went it went pretty well, I thought. I enjoyed it and Yeah. It was nice seeing uh, everyone, wasn't it? That was a good thing about it. Yeah, yeah. I mean it was a bit of a weird one because you had to, you almost had like a separate convention going on downstairs, didn't you? We were sort of <laughs> yeah. on the balcony. I don't know really what was going on down there. That wait, that, was there, there a separation? There was Ian in a sort of more. No, no, we were, well, all, we, did, we were all on the balcony. We did get into the green room, didn't we? Yeah, well, I just sent Eva, uh, my daughter, to get me sandwiches, <laughs> and the sandwiches came back in a cup. I wasn't the one kicking off the cup, not being a plate. Then you get Sean has a party came back carrying the most cups of coffee I've ever seen him at single man carry. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think we sent him down once as well, but no, it was really good. And uh, the guy was really nice who set it up, wasn't he? Andy? Yeah, Andy. And yeah, he's a good guy. Got yeah. a lot out of it. Um, are you going to Nottingham, Tony? I am, man. Are you? I'm going to go. Yeah, just just see. How, I'm not. I've not got a table. I'm just going to pop down. And oh, that'd be good to see you. Say hello nice to one. everyone. Yeah, 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 cool. 
Good stuff. So let's get on to what we're going to talk about. So I challenge these two guys to look up a favourite artist of mine, someone who I really do consider to be one of the big ones for me. Um, and we've each chosen something to talk about in relation to it, but I, I suspect we're probably going to wander a bit around it. So today we're going to have an artistic look with two artists and me at the uh, the magnificent John Byrne. Oh, um, yes. <laughs> just... Uh, it's just, I've, we, we, we've, we've all been sort of gushing over what a marvellous bit of research it's been to do, you know, because we've just had a sort so of much fun. run up, haven't we, I suppose, you know. Just nostalgia, nostalgia central for me, just yeah. fantastic. Yeah, totally. Well, it's, it's, it's been different for me. It's not been nostalgic because a lot of what I've read has been the first time I've come to it. So it's ah, been, that's good. That's, that's a nice thing. It's been thing. a real, yeah, you can have a balance. Perspective, there, yeah. Yeah, yeah new perspective to it. So what was, what was your first exposure to him, Ian? Um, I've sort of said before, uh, and I don't want to repeat myself too much, but you know that um, you're not steeped in comics history, are you? Yeah. No, I'm not. But I was—I can remember. It was a good couple of years ago now because it's been around for a while. But um, I, I'd seen the Jay Lee thing, and then researching him, I realised that he'd worked with John Byrne. So John Byrne sort of came up on my radar really quite early on, just out of sec. You know, like it was a bit of a um, okay. Because the story is, we'll we'll get to it. But John Byrne was working working on Namor, and he wanted something that yeah. would be a significant change of pace. So he got Jay Lee onto it. So he kind of yeah. was responsible. I know Jay Lee had done stuff before, but he was a, he was a big promoter of his work. I think it was pretty much his first stuff though that really right. made it, wasn't it? And uh, and I just read that he was a mentor to Jay Lee. So then that took me down that rabbit hole. Looking yeah, at, um, John Byrne and stuff. Yeah, and it's... I immediately saw that it was pretty good. Oh fucking hell! Yeah, I mean. <laughs> yeah. I, I, we've done, we've all done a lot of research. I know you've, you've written thousands of words already, Mister Q. Um, yeah, yeah. But yeah. The, the thing is, I, I, yeah. I want us to avoid the sort of almost programmatical and cliche of what a grumpy fucker he is, because that's all I seem to read on some sort of message board type environments. You know, what I want to do is, I don't think he's that actually. I, I genuinely don't. I've, I've, I've really warmed to him having read like twenty interviews, um, but I think we're going to stick pr- pretty much to the sort of the work i think but where you've met him haven't you cliff i have yeah well um so the, you know just just to sort of provide some context it was yeah. back in uh, i was just looking looking through some you know ucac wikipedia pages to try and place the exact date but it was back in 87 okay <clears throat> and i think it was at the university of london i can't remember precisely but john byrne was a favored guest there you know at the height of pretty much um his his um fame i think and his yeah. uh you know he the height of his career there um you know he just done what i was going to talk about the the superman reboot series yeah and um he come just he was doing a talk um i actually got to sit right very close to him right next to him he he came out of his talk and of course he was mobbed and they had a little table set aside for him in a room upstairs um and uh you know as he's sitting down he put a chair next to him clearly to want to bar everybody from sitting next to him and my friend ended up my friend dean just sat down in that chair next to him which i thought was a a power move yeah anyway i mean yeah i think it's the case that um yeah he is he can be a bit grumpy i mean he was a bit grumpy definitely about the dark night um and um you know he uh, that this was the time when uh, dc was getting ready to off tim drake although they hadn't made that decision they were going to decide based on a phone poll of uh, yeah. readers so i don't know if you remember that all the yeah. way back then um and uh this this phone poll was about to kick off 
I think it had just been announced. And um, John Byrne was on stage, um, really giving it some about how, you know, it's like, do you really want the Dark Knight to be the the ending for Bruce Wayne? And is that how you see him and everything else? Because if you vote for the death of Tim Drake, this is what's going to cause that universe to come into being. Okay. Oh, it was a big kind of. So, you know, interestingly, I think maybe he was controversial for the sake of being controversial because reading a little bit about his history, he was actually good friends with Mark, uh, with uh, Frank Miller. Yeah, they you well, know, they, they formed had a, um, Legend together, didn't they? The um, right, the they yeah. they they did um, they they had um, they were uh, both of them sort of you know I mean Frank Miller was at the peak there, John Byrne was at the peak, and they were openly discussing um, you know between them Frank was talking to John Byrne about the Dark Knight and the creation of that. Actually, I was going to get into the year of 1986 a little bit as we talk later, okay. but uh, yeah, what cool. it was criminal no, that's year, good, man. Man of Steel's place in that. But yeah, yeah he was um, he was irascible. I don't think he, you know, he he was, um, he definitely spoke his mind and he was um, opinionated and, um, you know, it, it, having now sort of exceeding him in age for when I saw him on that stage, I somewhat understand that yeah <laughs> I mean, he saw things in it, the comic community there's that a, we haven't there's a there's a great book that came out i think it's t- through tomorrow it's called modern masters which i was reading this week and it's sort of long form interview and i'm probably going to quote it a couple of times in this but he's he's asked about that and he describes it almost as a defense mechanism mm. um to this and imagine if people like keep coming up to you they're all either sort of f- throwing praise at you which is not good for people i think it's probably the worst thing some people can get um mm. or they're um they're just trying to argue with you about how you got something wrong and having that sort of nature, you know, yeah, in, in a much yeah. smaller version, I do it a bit, you know, is, is kind of works for you. It might, it might work. For, but it's, it's, know. it's all performative. I think, yeah. I mean, you know, he's, he's clearly comes from, it's, you know, he's clearly probably some sort of um, introverted kid, you know, and he's thrown into the scene and he's one of the most popular comic book artists that's ever lived. And, you know, you, you create a persona around you, right? I mean, yeah. some of the best people do, you know, they're not. And his was just a little bit sort of com- combative, I think. So, you yeah, know. agreed. Yeah. I there's, mean, a, there's a great video that I sent to you two guys called John Byrne meets Ranger Roger. Oh, gosh, yes. <laughs> Fucking hell. <laughs> the weirdest just paedophilic experience not uh, john burns interview but the whole ranger <laughs> thing was a bit weird wouldn't it <laughs> this sort of bloke who looks a bit like a fat nonce let's not be let's be honest you know he's trying to interview him and john's just got that look in his eye isn't he like what the fuck is this yeah. how did i get into this yeah, <laughs> yeah yeah oh my god they're asking questions about the x-men and yeah yeah. Right, so let's just quickly talk a little bit yes. about him. We have already done the history of him. If you go back, we did talk about Superman and Byrne um, previously, about maybe probably a couple of years ago. So go back. So I'm not intending to go into uh, the ins and outs. Episode 19. Just oh, to, thank to, you. To Very good, man. Um, so John Byrne, born uh, the 6th of July 1950, making him 72. Um, mm. He was born in Walsall in Staffordshire. And he lived here. Now, if you if you read a number of interviews, he says he's lived here for eight. He lived um, in England for eight years. What actually happened is at four... He moved over to Canada for two years. His mother didn't like it, so they moved back to England for another two years, and then they moved back to Canada. So he kind of says that. He says it just makes it easier to rather than explaining it all. Mm. Um, so I actually think he's got more. If you listen to um, the man who calls him the Canadian, um, which is um, Chris Claremont, Chris Claremont has this sort of pretend English accent. Um, I think John Byrne has a, has a lot more credibility in claiming to be British or English, you know, than uh, Claremont does. But he, 
he eventually moved over to Canada. Um, he first uh, saw George Reeves as Superman, and then he saw the UK as UK Superman annual, which is um, there's a great interview with him on Sci-Fi Wire. Um, he um, his first official work was in the Monster Times, um, which if you go to the Tomorrow site, there's a great interview with him on there, and it also talks about some of his earlier work on there as well. Um, whilst at college, he also created a character called the politically incorrect gay guy for the college newspaper yes. in the Alberta <laughs> College of Art and Design. Um, he's um, I, I sent you guys. I've had to do like an A. It's almost an A one sheet of paper with every sort of. It's like a murder board of everything he did. So he is extremely prolific. Um, so we're gonna we're gonna probably pick a couple of things. I'm just trying to think chronologically. Who comes first? Is he? I think it's you, Ian, isn't it? Yeah, I'm 83. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what? So by this time, we will have had the stuff at Charlton. So we had uh, Doomsday, Space 1999. He did a Roger the Robot. <laughs> Rog 2000, which is the backup in yes. E-Man. <laughs> yeah, which is outstanding. Um, he then went to Marvel. Um, he did some work on Iron Fist, mm. um, Marvel Team-Up, Avengers, and f- most famously the X-Men um, as well as um, some black and white stuff as well. Um, and then we we had the big move at the time to the Fantastic Four, um, which was which was a biggie. And that's what you were going to have a little look at. So this is interesting, man, because you I'm taking you hadn't read that before. Is that right? No, I, ha- I hadn't. I'd read um, Fantastic Four, one, two, three, four, because it was by Grandma. Uh, of course it was. Daily. Yeah. So I'd, I'd read that, but I hadn't really... Um, got into the Fantastic Four and I'd never seen much of John Byrne other than, you know, looking at images of his work online. So this was like a real big experience. I started with um, Fantastic Four Visionaries. It was issue, um, it was the third book in the series. Okay. And um, it went from, I think it's um, issue two, um, two, five, one, and then it's got, um, all the way up to, I think it's issue 257. And in between, it's got a couple of annuals and an Avengers issue where the so- stories sort of cross over. And then I loved it so much. I was sort of going online and everything. And someone was saying 258 is amazing with Doctor Doom in it as well. Right. So yeah. I went on and I got that as well. I was just like wrapped up in it completely. It's amazing, isn't it? Yeah. His, his it. portrayal of Doom is one of the best. Is that the one where he talks to a a doom bot and it explodes when he's talking to it? Is that the one? It's the one where he throws a scientist. The scientist has created this like um, special thing that's going to reanimate him or something, and he and he pushes a scientist in it and basically fries a scientist. He's a proper (laughs) body in it. It's really good, Mm. and uh, everything, every panel is just so. It's probably the most elaborate of the issues that I looked at. Yeah, Um, and also probably the other issue that was most famous i suppose is the landscape one which yeah. was the reason i looked at that tony because you'd said maybe have a look at 252 so yeah. i thought well it's a weird I one that. I, I, I read that i was reading that at school so yeah i played for i played sort of in a sports team quite good and i played for my county and i remember yeah. being driven back by um the sports teacher from playing because yeah. i was a boarding school and i was sat in the front seat of his car and reading a comic, and it was that. And uh, he bought me, like, I think it was like a Happy Eater meal or a Little Chef meal or something like that on the way yeah. back, you know. And he says, what is it you're reading? And I gave it to him, and he read it. 
and I thought, oh god, he's going to kill me for reading a comic because you know they were very sort of yeah. lowbrow back then. He went, that's actually really good. I <laughs> know, oh, and I've never yeah. forgotten that. Yeah, it is. It's a really uh, that's the thing with everything I read. I was just like, this is really quite high concept stuff. And yeah. he, the other thing that was striking was that there was moments in the comics where he's like he's nearly predicting the future here. I mean, there's two times within this visionaries thing where he's talking about mass hysteria that's just generated from a fear, a, just a general fear that it, there's no mm-hmm. cause for it. And one of them happens in that cityscape. And um, later there's one that happens in around the Baxter building as well. And you're just like, that's kind of like what's happening now in society. Everything's just falling apart. Just everyone's um, in a state of panic about everything. And then later on, there is actually um, a scene where one of the characters has fallen down the side of the t- Twin Towers as well. Wow. Okay. It's like, it, you know, he, he's he's captured this years before any of these sort of events happen. So yeah. there's this kind of thing where... I didn't know whether some of the things he was writing about, some, sometimes I suppose when you look back on these things, they can seem like, oh, that's old hat, like maybe that's been done before. But I kind of, as I was reading it, I was reading it as if, you know, this might have been the first time these kind of stories got told. Yeah, no, I agree, man. I mean, he's he talks a lot about the AFF, um, and he actually mm. says his emotional commitment to the AFF was far greater than that as it was to the X-Men. And obviously, the X Men would have been an easy one for us to do. I just, feel, yeah. I just feel that Dark Phoenix has been talked about enough. And I think, although whilst his FF has, I think it was nice for you to read it. Um, yeah, when you, uh, when when you think back though to just, just he was not only writing it, he was penciling it and inking it at yeah. the same time, yeah. and turning out. I think you said, Tony, you told me when we were having a conversation about it, he was doing up to four pages a day. Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. So you know, it's it's interesting that he he probably was buried in FF stuff at the time. Just yeah, and he's not skimping on the details on a lot of no. these pages either. They're just so elaborate, some of them. And I I was shocked at how how detailed things like backgrounds and that were as well. Yeah, you know, there are some pages where it becomes a bit more functional storytelling. And if you're working on four pages a day, you're going to let him off for the odd panel that's <laughs> yeah. like that, but. A lot of them are just crammed with detail. That Doctor Doom book two five eight that that that's got loads of examples. It's of got that. the sort of castle landscape in the background and stuff. From yes, that's yeah, that's it. Yeah. Did, yeah. Do you have a favourite, Ian? Did you have a favourite uh, edition? And there's a couple I'm thinking of that I haven't read in the last twenty years, but I can clearly remember like being formative for me as far as stories. Did you did you have a, a sort of a favourite uh, edition? Um, well, I really love the um, cityscape one, the, the mm. two five two, just because of the landscape format. And I thought yeah. it, I'd love to see more comics sort of in this way because it, it naturally gives you that big panoramic vision. I really like the first issue because the first issue is all set up, and for me that was really important because I hadn't really familiarised myself with many of the characters, and it was kind of interesting watching how effortless he was a and he, he probably took a lot of cues from those who'd gone before but how effortless it was that he just introduced you to these characters but also told you a lot about each one and that yeah. i was i was struck by how good his, his writing was as well as his art yeah i mean um, he, he he calls himself um he says i'm primarily a writer um yeah which is quite interesting yeah and and the other thing is he writes he writes um panels that if i was writing for myself i'd be like so uh, a city full of millions and billions of people all flee in the city at the same time, and he he draws it, you know, and you're like, 
you'd never give yourself that to yeah to to so, draw usually because it's going to be such a nightmare. But it, so in, in, interesting uh, interesting point of process. If I can interrupt there from yeah. when I was talking to him at the uh, something I remember. You know when I we were having like he was lecturing the crowd on like sitting at his table at UCAC. He was drawing a picture of She-Hulk just straight onto the page. Yeah. And I was like, don't you, you know, don't you do roughs and things like that? And um, how do you do the panel layouts? And he was like, man, I just do them straight on the page. I was like, so you don't do any thumbnail? And he said, no, that, that's what an erase is for. Um, <laughs> a, a later, that was part of the irascible interaction with the young kid there. But I mean, you know, that's John Byrne for you. But what, what I later found out was that he, he would go straight onto the page and start penciling. And that would be how he would de- develop his stories straight onto the page. Yeah. His, um, so he, he yeah, says that he gave up doing out. he says he gave up doing thumbnails in seventy eight, mm-hmm. um, which is quite interesting. But if you look at any of his pencil work, it's actually pretty there. There's no looseness to it, yeah. you know. Yeah, he was. Um, I, he it was it was a case of whatever he had in mind, it went straight through his hand onto the page, into yeah. the pencil, onto the page. You know, and he draws so many characters so well. So in this one, I've got, like, you're mentioning She-Hulk. I think she's one of the best characters he draws. He seems yeah. to put, whenever she's on the page, she's the striking character on that page, no matter who else is. There's a there's a bit in it where he just puts Daredevil in it for a little bit, just because I think he wants to draw Daredevil, and it's just fantastic <laughs> as well. And you just go through it. I think he gets pretty much all the Avengers in it. Um, you just feel like he's having a lot of fun with all these characters and seeing how he can give them all a little role within, within this bigger arching story as they go into the negative zone and all this. And there's a couple of issues at the start of it where the like little one, you know, it's all done in one issue, just sort of, in fact, that landscape one's done like that, isn't it? It's just all talking about this, this generation that's had it all and yeah. then kicked out the city because the, the city's become like sentient and, and, and discarded them as like a disease and, there's just so many good ideas, and a, a, it's quite a hard. It's quite a high sci-fi theory that one, it isn't it? Really, you know? is. Yeah. There's times I was like, "Oh, this is really for kids." I'm struggling with some of the concepts <laughs> in it, and there's a lot of like um, explaining, and probably that would maybe one of the things you, you'd see maybe get cut back a little bit nowadays. But there's, yeah. there's a, you know, he goes out of it. He's obviously thought about everything. He does a bit. Of, I noticed that he does a lot of like sort of almost like explaining himself, you know, like, well, uh, Reed Richards knew that this would happen, so that's why he's got so much of this uh, gas that's going to kill <laughs> Yeah, he's always going back and that. explaining it, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 The, um, there's, a, there's a certain level of melodrama. Talk, talk about the, the art just quickly. So um, just as an aside, sorry, I've just got I, – I have to say this. I, I, throughout the research we've done, I don't know what, what you guys have thought. I'm thinking, why isn't you fucking drawing a Marvel comic now? Do you know what I mean? It's like a constant yeah. thought in my head, and I can only, I can only imagine. And I've ex- I've invented a phrase for this off the back of reading interviews with him, where um, some young editor tries to zoom a splain to him about something, and he just sits there with that face on. Do you know what I mean? Do you think yeah, he, yeah, I do. you know? But the um, he says he finds writing the easiest. He says stories just sort of fall out of his head. He says that quite a lot, actually. I think, it, I think it's almost a go-to phrase that he uses. And he's, he describes art as thus. He says, it, art is inspiration for him is the layouts and the drudge work is tightening, in, tightening it up. Um, yeah. And I don't know what you think of this, Cliff. Do you think he is looser in some stuff and tighter in others? And why do you think that? 
Oh, absolutely. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, I think to a great degree, it depends on the time that he has available. You know, he he feels he's he's such a fantastic draftsman, though, that I think he he can lay down stuff quicker than. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and just anybody working. Also, he has um, he has an incredibly fixed style. So um, for him, I don't think his style has um, changed in its most basic form greatly since the 70s yeah you know he definitely improved but um when you see burn you know it's john burn uh i mean he has a very definite style where through the x-men so you know it, it depends i think when he's inking it himself um he tends to just maybe just sketch it out and then go straight in with the inks because he knows what he's doing so you know that he just goes straight in yeah. there you know um as we'll discuss probably a little bit later on i think there's things like um superman where he very intentionally developed a much uh scaled back style that was a lot um more of dc's sort of refined house style um you know but i i think he he he, he sort of brings to the table what he needs to bring. I think sometimes when he's paired with, say, a great inker like um, Joe Sinnott or yeah. or somebody who really understands him, like Terry Austin, Austin yeah. um, you know, um, he, he doesn't have to be as rendered because he knows that Austin will sort of fill in those details. So he can push out a lot more art and, and drive it forward. And, and then, you know, he knows he's got somebody he can rely on to sort of bring the John Byrne. More solid, heavy inks. Yeah. 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 Um, and, you know, I think you can also, to a degree, though, I think if you're a huge John Byrne fan, like I know I am and I know you are, Tony, mm. you can sort of see where where he brings a little bit more passion to the project. Yeah. Um, and and that's why you can see, say, the difference between Fantastic Four and some other sort of fill-in work that he's done. That um, you know, the Fantastic Four was clearly a passion project for him. You know, um, and then some of the later work, you know, and and so I guess Next Man as well. You can see, yeah, he kind of had a little bit more sort of workman like he was. He, he he it was something he really wanted to do. Yeah. So you know, uh, he's one of those guys who's got had such input, uh, such output. Really, yeah. Well, what you think he was? He, he says my norm was three books a month. Yeah. Oh, fucking hell. Yeah, you know unbelievable. I mean? Who can yeah. do that Nobody. these days? Very few people. Who, who can do one book a month these days? Nobody. You know. So I don't think anyone can do three books in a month. I, and yeah. I, I, when I was reading this, I I thought that he does have when he, especially when he's drawing the thing and Ben Grimm, he, he has a real kind of almost abstract shapes to Ben Grimm at times, yeah. even just what the general shape of the body and so, machinery that I thought would be all very... I was expecting it to... I don't know why, but I was expecting machinery and alien spaceships and stuff like that to be very precisely drawn. But when you look at it, there's a lot of loose, really flowing lines. And I was reminded, and I, I, it was interesting listening to you both talk about his relationship with Frank Miller, but I was so often reminded of Frank Miller's oh, artwork. Interesting. And I know yeah. this would maybe happened slightly before Frank Miller was on things like um, Ronin and stuff, where it just feels like the story is the main thing and the art is just the vehicle through which he's telling that particular story. And yeah. I felt like sometimes in Fantastic Four, it was it was similar. It was just, you could yeah. almost sense the urgency of how quick he's telling this really fast-paced story at times. I think he's, um, he has actually said that, that the art is really the vehicle, you know? Yeah. Um, for the story. And I think he's one of those, 
you know, something maybe a lot of modern artists could learn is, yes, that's correct. You're telling a story. You know, it's not all yeah. about your art. And I think for Byrne, it was about driving, you know, definitely driving the story that he was trying to tell. And, I think um, you can you read know, his stories without reading the words sometimes. I think mm-hmm. that's what is attractive to a younger reader and an older reader can get around as well. It's ex- exciting visual storytelling yeah. right yeah. there. And um, just, it's interesting you zoomed in on the thing there, Ian, because um, he, he's been very clear in past interviews, the thing was his favourite character. Yeah. Well, so, you, you know, the way he drew him, yeah, you can sort of see it. Like, you can see in Burns' art when you've got an eye for it, you've looked at a little bit of it, you can tell who his favourites are. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, the thing is just amazing, isn't he? Which you leads... Go on, mate, sorry. I was just going to say that in this um, collection that I've got, the, 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 the Thing issue 2 is part of that collection. Oh, and okay. It's, yeah, it's really good. And um, I think, just looking at it, he does the scripts and inks, um, but the pencils are by um, Ron Wilson. Ron Wilson. Mm-hmm. Love Ron Wilson. Yeah. We met him, didn't we, recently, Cliff? Uh, you did. You yeah. yeah. You you've got quite a nice um, nice uh, commission out of him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. Eventually. Yeah. Eventually. <laughs> it's focusing on before he became the thing, and you know, showing him in the college playing a football game and stuff mm, like that. It's right. a really great. That's it. Yeah, he he did things with the FF legend that I mean, he he took. One of, Here we go. Uh, this Burns, is where I'm going next. Yeah, I think I can. One see of it Burns' coming. greatest strengths is um, is is taking the source material that somebody else has developed and and making it his own. Yeah, way, changing it in ways that you never thought would be interesting. One of my, well, no, that when when it's in Burns' hands, you know it's interesting. He's a master of taking that stuff and kind of synthesizing what's really great about it and then yeah. moving it forward. And let's not, you know. Let's be honest, there is a kookiness occasionally to his work as well, which I kind of oh, find yeah. attractive. You know, there's a not it's not a campness, it's just a kooky which we now recognise him as a sort of burnism, don't we? Some of the stuff. Mm. Now that's well, interesting. there is a burn style that you you know is very of its time. Yeah. It's light hearted but serious, but melodramatic, but playful. You know, there's all this thing playing on, I think, at the same time with it. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um mm. now the next big just before we get onto yours, Keith, is um we're going to talk. It will never stop making me laugh. At, um, <laughs> is uh, we're going to um, just? I think the, the the big elephant in the room is Kirby. Here, yeah, you know, yeah. I thought that's where you're going. So the Kirby connection is a massive. No, no, I was I was about to um, say you know what Stanley and and Jack yeah. Kirby created with the Fantastic Four. You know, uh, clearly Byrne sees himself in competition with those stories that have been told, but also I think he you know he he recognizes the 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 best and highest storytelling strengths of that time and that age and he takes those things and makes them his own you know yeah so yeah anyway well in in, <laughs> in interviews i've read an interview it's in um comics interview i think it is he calls kirby his imaginary dad you know <laughs> that's a whole different <laughs> kettle of yeah. psycho psychotherapy there man there's a great um <laughs> There's a great kayfabe interview, a kayfabe piece on it as well, video, about comics interview number 25, um, which is David Anthony Crafts magazine. Um, and in that, I mean, um, they obviously had connections to Byrne because I think he appeared, I've got four four comics where he's interviewed, four um, issues of that where he's interviewed. But in issue 25, he, he gets interviewed, but he also shows out his first tryout for Marvel that I think off the top of my head was in 1974. Um 
which is the most. Have you seen this video, guys? By the way, no, no. it's I, the. Um, Comment. I think I, I have a, an art of John Byrne somewhere that I couldn't find, and those pages are in that. Yeah, back from back in the seventies or something. There's yeah. pages in that that look like Kirby pages. Mm-hmm. They really are. You know, there's that close up on the eyes thing that Kirby did. You know, the sort of intense eye thing. Some of the mm. hands. You know, um, um, uh, one of the one of the guys on the interview. Uh, I think it's Jim Rugg says, I love Kirby thumbs. And Kirby's got that, <laughs> the way he draws fingers and thumbs, you know? Yeah. Really what was the amazing. character? Do you remember what was the tryout? It was the FF. It was the FF. It was a fantastic football. Yeah, it's incredible. Yeah. It's up until about halfway through, you think, I'd have read this. You know, this is, this yeah. is like Bob Layton. You know, it's like, it's good. There's a few flakier images later on, but you see it and you think, no, this is pretty much well, fully formed, you know? But in his, in his modern ff stuff i mean he 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 does not skimp on things that are kirby-esque like the crackle you know i mean he pays is a yeah. definite homage throughout yeah the inhumans yeah. um when when he he sort of portrays um you know dooms sort of i guess his igor his sort of assistant it's pure kirby you know yeah. in some of those pictures um and when he draws the new gods i mean he really the kirby style comes out it's um Oh, but, yeah, yeah. yeah um, you can tell the influence there. There's yeah. an issue called Fragments in this, which is a Galactus story, and you can see like the negative zone, and it's got all these fantastical space scenes, and I, I feel like that's very Kirby. And I was reading about it, and he said he cited Steve Ditko, Jack Kirby, and Neil Adams. This is yeah. We'll be talking about Neil Adams in a second, most definitely, well, yeah. yeah. In- interestingly, just as a real aside here, but when I was listening to one of his interviews, he was talking about Giles, the British cartoonist. <laughs> right. It was one of his earliest influences, which I found interesting because when you, you know, I never thought about comparing those two side by side, but when you do, there's a definite something about the line, you know? And he, he has the ability to be more caricature If you look at True Brit, which yeah. is the Superman John Cleese comic of all things, yeah. that's... <laughs> That's very caricature UK comics. Part of it looks like yeah. it come out, could have come out of the page of the Beano, you know? Yeah, his earliest work for, you know, Rog 2000 um, yeah. was was all caricature. And Rog was based on Roger Stern. Stern and, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, you know, he, he caricatured a lot of stuff. That was all cartoony. Yeah, yeah. Pure, pure burn, but burn's sort of, you know, burn doing cartoons. Yeah. Now, this, the, the, the Kirby connection is very strong. So we had... <laughs> You know, a lot of the Marvel characters he went and did. And he did he did the Captain America issues, which a lot of people considered to be the high point of his career. You know, really good stuff. Obviously, the X-Men were originally a Kirby creation. We forget that sometimes. Um, mm. We've also, um, when he gets to DC, though, we had a, a big run of it. We had the New God stuff. We had OMAC. Um, we had Blood of the Demon, if you've read that, which is actually outstanding. Like really, is good. that Etrigan? Etrigan, the yeah, demon? yeah, that's the one. Yeah, yeah. All well, and, and, and take note: Omac, Etrigan, all of these things—they all were molded by a Kirby. Yeah, yeah. But all of these things were strongly Kirby influenced. So it's 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 interesting to note that Burns' career was pursuing some of those characters to to draw. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. Yeah. I mean. There's an there's an interview where he says, oh, you know, people have started saying I'm the new king and I don't like it. Um, he he instantly brings it up. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, people say I'm amazing. I hate it when people say how good I am. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, part of me kind of agrees, part of me doesn't. You know, it's a bit like that. You know, 
Um, yeah, he was a bit full of himself in those um, sometimes in that high point, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Did they have a falling out though, Tony? Because I read somewhere that there was a bit of a falling out between them because Ben was very much like a company man. Yes. Yeah, and, he, and he did write a very impolite letter yeah. when um, people were trying to get Kirby's rights back to yeah. some of his characters. Um, and I wrote, read somewhere that Kirby had called him spineless for not standing up. Oh, really? I hadn't read that, but yeah, he could well be. Because he, he yeah. said, look, I you know, I signed on. I'm doing other people's characters. That, you know, which I suppose he did more of than Kirby. Kirby created a lot of what he drew, didn't he? Yeah. You know. Hmm. Um, yeah, he's also... there's I, also a low point, and I think that's why he's seen as controversial, I think, that he has taken some of that a little bit too far, I think, and didn't read the room. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. That's a good way of saying it, man. Yeah, he was also um, he was quite into the rating system. He said, I can't remember the phrase he used, but it's something along the lines of, why shouldn't people know what they're getting? You know, and there was a big sort yeah. of fan, oh, we don't like it, this is censorship, which it kind of wasn't at the time, you know. Um, yeah. So I, th- I think there's a historical explanation for this. I think it's because, you know, he came up through the seventies when it very much was a, just, you just, you work, we own what you produce. Yeah. And um, then, you know, there was this huge inflection point around the mid eighties where people started owning their own characters. And, um, you know, that whole, that was changing around him, I think. And there was a lot of debate at the time around, you know, especially driven by the treatment of Siegel and Schuster and their Superman property. Um, you know, that was when that came to the fore, you know, and um, he just was on the wrong end of that debate, I think. Yeah, we had the Destroy Duck stuff with Gerber as well um, yeah. around the same time, which he, he references a few times um, as being part of that. Yeah, no, I see what you mean, man. Yeah, I mean, the thing is with him, he was a company man until he wasn't. Yeah, that's yes. the thing with him, yeah. wasn't he? <laughs> he was a strong company yeah. man until he became another company's man. And then he sort of just went F you and went off and did his own stuff, you know. Um, yeah, depends yeah. when they caught him in that career. I, I kind of feel if he, they'd caught him when he was at Dark Horse, they might he might have agreed with them, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, for sure. And I mean, you know, and 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 he burned his bridges at Marvel and DC, you know, yeah. effectively by, you know, he he had a falling out with both of them, sort of in in succession, and mm-hmm. um, that left him then in the position of having to develop his own properties. Yeah, which yeah. was something that I think he always preferred handling other people's properties. And, and using them to create his own stories. I, I don't think he was ever as comfortable sort of making up his own stuff, you know? Yeah, I agree. I mean, he, he's had some really interesting career moments outside of comics mm. as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. he was um, he was instrumental. I don't know if you know this, but they killed Iron Fist off really ridiculously at the end, and he just thought, I'm going to bring him back in Namor. You know, he just used, he was he had that level where he was allowed to do this and sort of stuff. But yeah. at one point in 1990, Stan approached him and asked him to be the um, editor-in-chief of a whole new line of Marvel comics. Wow. Um, and they went I back and forth. That. Yeah, they went back and forth on this for a while. And what it actually, and Next Men came out of that. It would have been, perhaps, if it, they'd gone ahead with it, Next Men would have been the new Marvel Universe thing. Wow. Which is interesting. Because there, there was, at that point, that new universe stuff coming out. Yeah, he did Starbrand. Was, was, yeah, around the same, yeah. same time, Shooter brought out the sort of the attempt to what was later successfully, you know, done with the Ultimates is was was yeah. what Shooter tried to do then, which was create a whole new comic line essentially 
as a Marvel sister yeah. comics. And weirdly, yeah. Byrne did like two or three issues of Starbrand towards mm-hmm. the end of its run. It just seems a strange thing for him to do. Yeah, I don't know. remember that. I just remember the John Romita Jr. stuff. Yeah, I think, yeah like, too bad. Very beginning. Yeah, to, yeah. yeah. I know yeah. you're a big fan of DP Seven. Yeah, so you're a fan of. That. Oh, absolutely. I in fact have issue one sitting on my shelf. <laughs> <laughs> I, oh wait hang on you meant the comic book i thought yeah. you meant the porno mag <laughs> yeah. no i actually yeah. have the comic book hand. yeah <laughs> yes no i actually have the comic book <laughs> yeah um good well talking about that let's segue into um his move to marvel so he actually went in his move to dc he actually stopped hmm. working at marvel for the first occasion um at the end of his ff run and that's when the phone rang about superman is that right cliff uh, yeah, I believe that's correct. Um, so uh, one thing uh, that uh, I learned in the course of researching this is that um, Karen Berger would have parties. Um, right. And uh, they, I, I can't remember, what they, I don't know whether they played cards or what they did. Um, but anyhow, uh, Byrne was a regular at these parties, as was a gentleman named Marv Wolfman. Right. Um, and uh, one of the things they discussed frequently... Uh, at these parties, uh, you can imagine kind of how geeky and nerdy they were, but um, it, not Karen Berger, Karen Berger, yeah. I believe. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, so she was the editor of DC at the time, and um, uh, there were Wolfman had some ideas surrounding Superman, Byrne had some ideas surrounding Superman. It's not entirely clear who came up with it first, but part of those discussions was at some point, um, creating a Superman reboot. Yeah, this um, is interesting because um, at his own admission, Byrne would quite loudly say at the, at every opportunity that DC would get, are getting Superman wrong. And yes. the, the problem yeah. with Superman is he should be more like Christopher Reeve, who Byrne was seemingly quite taken with. He met him twice, um, was yes. sort of quite fan-struck by him the first time, and then the second time, Christopher Reeve actually walked up to him and said, oh, I don't know if you remember, we met before... I'm Christopher Reeve. And he went, well, of course I remember you. <laughs> You're Christopher Reeve, you know. And he was, he, yeah, yeah. it was his first he love Superman, you know. He mentions Christopher Reeve in the Fantastic Four. Oh, does there's he? A, yeah, there's a bit where um, um, th- there's like a college and there's these two girls talking about this guy and they say, oh, he's, he's just like Christopher Reeve. So he uh, was right. thinking, yeah, I think he definitely was a big fan. Yeah. Sorry, so, sorry for um, you. No, no, yeah. not at all. It's it's all good discussion because yes, it um actually um he he was highly influenced by the Superman movie and um uh, one of the things uh the where he was approached to do this new Superman, it actually came out shortly after Superman 4. Now don't yeah. hold that against it, okay? Because yeah. I mean that was a terrible terrible movie. So part of that was Marv Wolfman and John Byrne um, submitted treatments for Superman 4 that went unused. Oh, so uh, Marv, that. yeah, Marv Wolfman sent in about two. Uh, John Byrne did three, of course, because he's extra. Um, <laughs> and two two of which uh, were in collaboration with Helfer, who's the editor of, who became the editor of the Superman t- six issue Superman series that uh, I'm going to talk about, and yeah. Jeanette Kahn. Uh, and ultimately, the studio went with um, Chris Reeves' storyline for yeah. number four so it could have been a vastly different movie might even have been a little bit more reflective of kind of where dc was That's going interesting because during this year yeah but Byrne tells a story about he just left the ff and dick giordano who i think he mm. knew from continuity studios earlier on in his career 
and had remained friends with had called mm. him and said, look, you've been going on about how you know what makes a good Superman. We're going to reboot him. Is, would you like to do it? And mm-hmm. he says, he actually said that there was quite a, a bit of a kickback because he got allegations that he's the one that got Kurt Swan sacked because obviously Kurt Swan had been on it for donkey years. Right, yeah. yeah. Which is interesting. I mean, yeah, I don't know the truth of that. So I misspoke a little bit earlier. It was Jeanette Kahn's house right, okay. where they were having yeah. the, the poker parties of the DC publisher. And then Wolfman came up with um, ideas for changes and, and Kahn was very warm to that concept. Um, and at that point, Wolfman was asked to write The Adventures of Superman, which was one of those going on. And yeah. a number of uh, things that were discussed at that party ended up in this six-issue series. Oh, that's so. interesting, because he also yeah, said he, yeah. wrote, he wrote a list of 20 unreasonable demands, and uh, DC, DC agreed to 19 of them, he said, which he couldn't believe. Yeah, I think the only yeah. one that they did not agree to, which didn't end up in the comics, um, which was somewhat controversial, uh, somewhat controversial change, was... Um, was uh, Superman's mother, is it Lara, Lara L, um, was in the ship that landed on Earth. And uh, when it crashes, she's dying from kryptonite radiation poisoning and has the, and that that way Superman is actually, or or Cal L, Clark Kent, as we know him, is born on Earth in front of Martha and um, John Kent. Uh, that was a about bit what too much. In Miracle Man a few years later. Uh, yeah, yeah. So anyway, that was a bit too much. So they, that that was scrubbed from the uh, initial um, storyline, but um, everything else was kept, and there was a there was a lot of things in there um, right. that, that that were kept in. So anyhow, um, so I bought Superman this, this these six issues of Superman right off the shelf in Forbidden Planet back when it was on Denmark Street. Yeah, I remember at the time. Being a super huge John Byrne fan, I mean, I collected X-Men and Fantastic Four when it came out almost month to month. I have an almost complete run of all of it. Um, Good. But yeah, yeah. yeah. So, you know, I'm, I've always been a John Byrne Superman, but even I at that time was thinking, wow, this, this is interesting, but it doesn't quite um, live up to what I had expected from him. Now, I've okay. since revised that, and uh, I wanted to give you a little idea of the timeline around 86 which i think you know if you look into comics history was a huge Probably inflection the biggest point. year of comics history i'm going to say isn't it no i'm going to say un- undoubtedly i will say it is it was right it okay. was the biggest year in comics history bar none okay so let me give you a little idea of where yeah. where we're coming in from here a little bit of context so from april 85 to march 1986 crisis on internet earths was an enormous, enormously successful series that was running for DC. Yeah, George Perez, wasn't it? Was drawing it. George, was, George was, Perez. Marv Wolfman was writing it. Yeah. So JB yeah, sort but, of describes George Perez as not his competition, but it, they were the the two big dogs, weren't they? To be fair, they, they, they yeah, yeah there they, they weren't many huge superstars of that level. And Perez was one of them. And you yeah. know, you, you know, well, you you could do a whole several episodes on George Perez and his influence. But anyhow, so we're coming in off of Crisis of Infinite Earths. Uh, February, while Crisis is going on, uh, of 86 to June 86, The Dark Knight Returns is publishing. Okay? The Man of Steel comes the month after the conclusion of Dark Knight Returns. It, (laughs) It starts publishing in July 1986, concludes in September 1986. It was publishing every two weeks. So there was one one issue coming out every two weeks. 
Yeah, I remember it on the shelves, man, because it had those sort of right. distinctive covers, didn't it? That sort of split, Very split different. cover. Yeah, yeah. It, yeah, it would be a figure either to the left or the right, and then you know maybe a little bit of in, indicious sort of indent art material, but it had a uh, yeah very strong kind of uh, design to the front. Uh, more or less worked in some cases. Some cases, I. I yeah, feel so it worked I think as well, but one was just a character, the back of a character, and I didn't really think it worked particularly well. I think it's um... actually that was the Bizarro that's episode. It. Yeah, that's the one. Um, he punches well, him, I yeah. actually was that was one of my favorite ones. Where oh, right, it's just okay, Bizarro backwards. My least favorite one was where Batman is. Anyhow, okay. Well, so, before we, um, just before you roll on there, man, I know it's something you we, hmm. you confirmed for me because I th- I was sort of guessing is that the first variant cover, and you said yes, it was. Yeah, so the Man absolutely. of Steel, the first two issue, the first issue we had a variant, so, didn't it? Yeah. Yep. There was a the very first issue was a picture of Clark Kent on the cover doing the iconic pulling open of his shirt. Yeah. Uh, and it was the full figure. The variant cover was a super close up on the S and him pulling his um, shirt apart. So not hugely variant, you know, it was just a close up, but was the very first variant cover um that was published and i know i bought it i know hundreds of thousands of other fanboys bought yeah. it too um but yeah that that was what kicked off that idea that variant covers could sell <laughs> yeah. anyhow just just to complete this timeline for 1986 because i really want you to have the context yeah, here for yeah this this series and and kind of it, it provides sort of a it puts it in its place in this sort of in this year of magic so uh watchman so man of steel concludes september 86 same month first issue of watchman hits the stands wow and that continues through october 1987 so that gives a little bit of context here and i think it gives a little bit of context as to why this might have been overlooked at the time as a as a and you know as a as a classic kind of part of that unbelievable and this is just what was going on in dc you know, there was like the, um, what was it, the Beyonder and all that kind of stuff was yeah. going on in Marvel. So yeah. it was a huge year, huge year. So anyhow, so this this had been talked about and it was the reboot before reboots were popular, before sort of reinventing this whole thing. Um, and this remained canon for Superman until 2003 when there was a story series published called Superman Birthright, which used a lot of what Byrne had developed here. And okay. just to give you an idea of the influence of this moving forward, this just this, these few six uh, six uh, six editions, six issues that came out, um, the 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 stuff that was conceived in the in this in this short span of you know like twelve weeks um, became uh, as influenced just about everything moving forward, including the movies, TV series. Lois and Clark and yeah. um and 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 nearly every single Superman title coming forward. So just to give you an idea, okay, so we're in a pre-watchman world. Ian, you won't understand this, so just try, try and follow along. Um I don't I don't think anybody in in the modern age understands what a pre-watchman comics world actually felt like or was like. But you know, for DC it was terrible. DC was in the toilet. I mean, they were literally on the verge, I think, of bankruptcy at this particular period. Yeah, I mean, they had a real wobble over um, this Superman, didn't they? They were worried about it because Superman was selling about half of what the FF was selling at the time. Yeah, so everything was moribund, you know, and Marvel's basically cleaning up with the X-Men and Fantastic Four and things like that. I mean, you know, yeah. Yeah, Secret Wars, uh, and they're just looking old-fashioned, moribund. They're repeating the same old tropes. You know, Kurt Swan is still drawing Superman. And, uh, you know, all due respect to Kurt Swan, um, he's a brilliant artist, but he, you know, 
after a little while, you've got to sort of shake things up. But anyhow, yeah, so agree, they're repeating the 40s and 50s. Nobody's moving anything forward. So DC knows it's got to do something. So enter Marv Wolfman, okay? So Marv Wolfman presents this idea of a crisis on infinite Earths. It's giant and hugely successful, and it presses the reset button for DC. So this is the bestseller that saves the company. Huge event, brought in a whole new readership, uh, introduced George Perez as a genius that he was. Of course, we knew Wolfman was um, pretty clever because he'd relaunched Teen Titans and yeah, at which the is time, a big deal, yeah. right, th- this is the only title that's getting any it was kind that, of... It was that versus the readership. X-Men. They were the two big dogs, weren't they, in sort right. of team, team books. Right. Um, yeah, and also don't forget that Crisis killed off Supergirl and The Flash. Yes, at the very end. Um, it, so it was a complete reset. So basically, you know, they're all over the place. There are all these different Earths, all these different characters, all this different canon. There was no points for readers to jump on unless they kind of knew all this lore and this stuff. And it was just a nightmare. It was a mess. Crisis resets all of that completely. So it's a, it's 12 issues, begins publishing in April 1985, uh, actually as a celebration of DC's 50th anniversary. That's right, concludes, the, um, the corner box, yeah. Yeah, yeah it used to have a little 50th anniversary mm. box on it. Uh, concludes in March 1986, and it just washes everything clean. You know, so everybody's talking about this, uh, and, and it brings on a whole bunch of new fans and a place to start. Anyway, because it's 1986, that's why I chose this year. That's why I chose this particular Burn story. Burn in 1985 is at the top of his game. Okay, he's huge. I don't. You can't. It's difficult to go back and think. You know that he was a superstar comic book artist. Yeah. I mean, it, it was. He was serious. I mean, you think Rob Liefeld appearing on Jeans advertising was something. <laughs> John Byrne was just massive. Everybody knew him. He'd had his hands in some of the best, most compelling stories. You know, as Ian was saying, Fantastic Four is just one of them. Um, You know, the X-Men, he's known for doing that. Um, So anyway, you know, he's approached to do this. Um, Interestingly enough, Alan Moore was also approached to do a Superman reboot. Okay. Couldn't do it because he was busy with Watchmen. So we could have gone in a very, very different direction here. You know, Alan Moore didn't get to touch Superman until whatever happened to the Man of Tomorrow. Really. Well, we had the we had Much the Alan Moore. On. Now everyone sort of has this theory that um, uh, that the Charlton Heroes were was the original pitch, but there was mm-hmm. a pitch made before that by Alan Moore, which was called I think Twilight the Superheroes or something like that. You used to be mm. able to find it online, and it was kind of the 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 the, the last days of Superman and Batman and stuff like that. You used to be able to find the pitch of it, yeah, um, and that was almost the process that then then became you know watchmen i i didn't know that That, Mm. that's interesting in the light of this yeah so anyway that talks i mean a little bit and that is that you know you've got like john burns talking to frank miller these guys are all in the in the pit together right they all know each other they're all talking to each other yeah so as um as uh miller's publishing dark knight he's talking to john byrne about stuff you know and they these guys knew each other back in the days of daredevil when frank miller was doing that it was in fact it was um something that's reflected in this series with lex luthor um was miller's recreation of the kingpin as a criminal mastermind Uh, okay um yeah so uh, essentially when um miller was first developing daredevil um, he was talking to John Byrne about it, and John Byrne says, "Okay, you've got to. What you've got to do is you, you you've got to run him as as he is for a few editions, and then you've got to introduce, in some way, this is my this is my kingpin." And that's how he came up with the iconic scene of 
the kingpin in shadow lighting the cigarette. Okay. And then his, you know, you see it's the kingpin. That that was a, a thing that happened with Byrne. And then much later on, I think Byrne took that and he took Lex Luthor and moved him away from the mad science genius into kind of like this evil capitalist role. So that's how the idea of Lex, John Byrne and Marv Wolfman came up. Well, actually, it was John Byrne presented it to Marv Wolfman as an idea for reprising Lex Luthor as a, and reinventing him as a businessman has he's been portrayed moving forward ever since you know back in the day it used to be giant robots sort of yeah. <laughs> you know, and things like that yeah so now it's a much more insidious kind of lex luthor that we're introduced to so anyhow um so it's 86 you know and and this comes right in the middle of some of the most influential comic book uh revolutions you know ever so um, I think it's sort of overlooked, this six edition thing. The influence of this, this, these six issues is overlooked. And the influence the, of what Byrne brought to it yeah. has been overlooked. You know, it's so, so Crisis cleared the decks. They're like, well, okay, now it's a perfect time to do that for Superman. So they get John Byrne in to do that. Um, and he just pulls it all back to its roots in this beautiful, sim- simplified, maybe oversimplified legend where he just, you know, Byrne does what Byrne does best, which is take somebody else's creation, makes it his own, but but also tells it in a way that just respects kind of a, a lot of the legend, right? Yeah. The character of the, of the you know, he's, he's great at characterization. So he really understands the Superman character. Um, and a lot of his Superman influence is actually drawn from his early years in the UK where he was watching the George Reeves Superman on yeah. TV. He wasn't influenced at all, really, by the comics. Um, and then he got hold know, of an annual, doesn't he? He talks about this annual that yeah. he gets hold of, which he, I think he's, still, he's, he's either still owns it or he re-bought it. And he's, he's got this sort of amazing man cave, if you see him interviewed, yes, with like yeah. 3,000 statues, and he sort of pulls it off a shelf in there. Yeah, I know what you mean. Right, right. So, um, you know, in a lot of his interviews, they talk about bringing, bringing back Superman's youth and attractiveness, right? So there's a quote here from Marv Wolfman, which says, Superman's not your father. The day he becomes your father, he's a dead character. I think Superman has to go back to being a oh, young, virile character. This, this, this was to uh, today, then, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, exactly. So this was in Amazing Heroes 96 and 1986. It had came out before Superman started publishing. So, you know, they were talking about a lot of the influences that led to making Superman a lot more vital. Um, and Because, you know, he had become this awful, boring, super humanly powerful character. Um, and there was no way of making him interesting anymore. Because how do you make a god who can do just about anything? Yeah, and exactly. They, there's they nothing. There's no threat. Didn't they? they had to deep. So yeah, yeah. So a couple oh, of the incidentally, we should give a thank you to Chris Burton at this point for supplying you with the pages from that issue. By the way. Oh yes, yeah. Thank you, Chris, because <laughs> he, uh, yeah, he took pictures of that um, that uh, amazing heroes edition with a, just a fantastic interview, and yeah. and somehow he had it at his fingertips as well. He so yeah, that. absolutely. Yeah. Credit to him, man. He sent me the pictures. And I actually have his, uh, he asked for a Gandalf commission in return. Oh, so, brilliant. Excellent. I have yeah, sitting yeah. on my desk here. I'm ready to send him. So, yeah. So, um, George Reeves, um, and, and then also, you know, he, he wanted to make Clark Kent a lot grittier and tougher than he was this kind of milksop character. 
Um, he depowered Superman. He changed some of the powers to be, you know, it was a force field that meant that he was invulnerable. Um, he didn't have X-ray vision. It was more a sort of combination of his macroscopic vision, being able to look through the atoms and his micro and his microscopic vision, you know? Yeah. So uh, there was a huge, what I was impressed with reading about this was the amount of thought that was brought back to um, just to purifying this idea. He called some shit for it, though, didn't he? I mean, there was a quite did. An adverse fan reaction to it, I think, from some yeah. places. Yeah. yeah. And he says so, that DC really wobbled over that. He said they were really worried about it. They were talking about getting he, someone else in, you know, behind they, his They back. really were. Yeah. Um, well, so, you know, they didn't do that initially. They let him do the six-issue run, and he went on to draw... Um, two Superman comics, I believe. Uh, there was The Adventures of Superman and then Superman. Yeah. While Marv Wolfman went on with um, Jerry Orboy, I think, was drawing uh, the action comics. Oh, no, I, th- I can't Adventures. remember. I can't remember exactly. I think. Yeah. There was yeah. Adventures, there action was Action was like the team-up was book, wasn't it? Is that right? So Action is the one that famously had the Ex- big bar yes. porn film and all this sort of thing. That's I think. It. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly, exactly. So anyhow, so... You know, this Superman, I mean, so, you know, this this was kind of overwhelmed. And I think it might have caused Byrne a little bit of heartburn and irritation that, you know, he 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 created the Superman and rebooted it, put an inordinate amount of thought into it. And it's a beautiful, simple tale, right? It's yeah. It takes place over 10 years from um, Superman aged 18 to age 28. It reintroduces Lex Luthor, reintroduces Lois Lane, who is a just... You know, just like not that. I mean, she's what a proper Pulitzer Prize winning reporter should be like yeah. in this. Yeah. A uh, bit of a fashion plate. He likes to draw in lots of different fashions, which was a bit strange. <laughs> yeah, but um, yeah. it reintroduces Bizarro, reintroduces Lex Luthor, um, you know, reintroduces Clark Kent, the character of Superman itself. Um, and and there was a lot of criticism that he'd gone too far because it removes crypto supergirl the super family all of that none yeah. of that is it is removes it. superboy which is quite a big thing because obviously it, superboy he doesn't was become a superman till his yeah. yeah superboy was a you massive thing but anyway you got the connections with the legion of superheroes he had his own right. title for decades you know this sort of thing yeah yeah so it, 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 in so far as doing that he also complicates things again as well because you know that later on he has to create a pocket unit Universe yeah. in which there was a Superboy and the Legion, and so that yeah. So anyway, you know that aside, um, I, I think you know he he just what he wanted to do was just sort of bring it back to its very basics. Um, he kept John and Martha Kent alive, um, so he took away that particular um, motivator, which was kind of the Uncle Ben thing for Spider Man. You know, yeah. John, John dies and all that sort of stuff. Well, in this one, they're still alive. They're still very influential. He, he really wanted Superman to stand on his own as sort of the arch American hero. And he declares, you know, Clark Kent, Superman declares in the comic book, I'm an American, you know, so yeah. there's a very sort of, it's yeah. a very sort of American take on, he, he does sort of take it back to sort of a sort of stars and bars kind of character in this. It's very readable um, though, Cliff. That's the thing. That's the thing is, and with all of Byrne's work, it's very readable. You know, it's, it's, it propels itself forward. And, you know, you may, so one of the other key things is he, he and Batman, Superman and Batman are no longer friends in this, which was something that was a nod to Miller's Dark Knight, I think, was that, you know, how do two people with vastly different sort of approaches to crime fighting 
how do they become yeah, friends? There's that whole you know? issue in the miniseries about that, isn't he? Where he meets yeah, there's one issue deals with Batman. Look through it and all this sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly, exactly. But it, it like you said, it's incredibly readable. Readable. You'll zip through it, um, and um, you know, it's it's one of those where I think we can bring too much to it, too much of that sort of um, baggage. Right. Um, And he strips all the Superman baggage away and just leaves it kind of this sort of very pure story as if it was we were just reading it for the first time. And um, only Byrne could have done that, I think, in the way that he did. Yeah, I think you're right. Have you read any of it, Ian, at all? No, no. Okay, that was a thorough bit of a... Journalism, you see. That's why why he's got a press pass, my friend. That's why he's got a press pass. The... uh, uh, there's some great hardbacks actually. I don't know if you've got them, Cliff. They are worth getting in if you haven't. Is um, they've they I've got the first four, um, mm. Superman and the Man of Steel hardbacks, and they're um, they're really worth it. I think they're only about thirty quid on Amazon at the moment. Mm. Um, I might have to get um, but you know, yeah, it's kind of hard to sort of. I, I've got the originals on my shelf, so you know, it's like um, I, I did I did take a look on I I did there was one where there was some sort of back material in there that were, I did read. <laughs> Yeah. Um, from John Byrne, which is always worthwhile, you know. Yeah. Uh, it was around the time of the Challenger disaster, I believe, and uh, there was okay. a whole scene in there, actually, that was mirrored in the Superman movie, the reboot Superman Course. movie. Yeah. Um, with the the airplane, where it was a space shuttle. Lois Lane's on the space shuttle, uh, which became a, an experimental space plane in, <laughs> because of the Challenger disaster right. in, in in the comic book. Um, but that, you know, it's like little elements like that. If you read this, it, it, it's kind of hard to imagine what Superman was like, you know, free of that. It, because this was so influential on Superman moving forward. Yeah. That you'll read it and you, you it will resonate with you if you've ever seen the TV series or the movies. Oh, especially or when you think you'll Lois like, and Clark only came yeah. a few years later after this run. You know, it wasn't right. a great amount of time. Yeah, he, he invests, man. He dives in. He 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 goes for it, doesn't it? With it, I think. Yeah, yeah. Lo- Lois and Clark only happened because of this series, right. you know. Okay. So yeah, so it's 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 difficult to underestimate how influential this just brief six episode six issue run was on on the whole future of of um, how people viewed Superman. Um, but it's what I think was that the burn maybe was slightly irritated about this. I know in eighty seven he was very irritated about the Dark Knight's future potential and, yes. and the killing of, of tim drake um because you know it, it got it got swamped by like th- not only had the dark knight just ended but it was still seen as a you know gritty reboot and that was the first real gritty reboot we ever had right yeah and I mean, then Burns his book got, ended it's quite he's got quite a high i don't know what you call it a high level of sort of morals you know ethics yeah. type thing where he this um, is a very it's a very clean black and white universe it is and i saw an interview uh, with him where he was talking about batman and he said um the, hmm. the 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 interviewer posed the question of what if batman um accidentally beat up the wrong person you know and he <laughs> yeah. and burn says well then he'd have to stop being batman it was like very black and white for him yeah it's it's, so so the telling of this story is very it's well let's say it's 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 very comic book right so you know good and evil is very clearly drawn and i think you know part of the the sort of what we like about superman is he's like this uncompromising character who clearly has the right morals 
and ethics and does the right thing. Yeah. Um, and that was part of what I think irritated him with the dark Knight. you know, but, but yet he's telling this story, right. In classic burn fashion. And I think what we have here is like the high watermark of burns career at the man of steel. Yeah. Honestly, you know, I hate to say it was sort of a downward from, but he was seen as kind of old hat. He'd been around for 15 years. <laughs> yeah. he, you know, his style didn't change hugely, but after this point, I think we can see a decline in sort of, you know, John Byrne's output and his contributions. Um, you know, but the, the issue is, is the Man of Steel, his book ended on at the beginning by The Dark Knight Returns. There was no way you were going to be better than that. And yeah. then at the other end, you know, when it finishes publishing, Watchmen comes out with its first edition. So effectively burying it amongst these you know it's like it's yeah, it's the it, real third wheel in these two enormously influential plus stories fan press and newspaper press and you know the the, mm-hmm. the column inches that would have gone to burn on superman were yeah, going as soon to as Watchmen started yeah they're it, going it to biff pal comics anything. aren't about this anymore you know those comics are for adults yeah. it was that was starting them wasn't it yeah. yeah, but I mean, you know, Man of Steel, when it ran, it got like a lot of press attention. But what I don't think it got was critic, the kind of critical credibility, the kind of critical yeah, reviews get, yeah. of Dark Knight and Watchmen. So, you know, it's only now revisiting it, Christ, 30-something years later, yeah. that you can see it sort of in a much clearer way as a part of a progression in a year that was just overwhelmingly loaded with, you know, great comics and yeah and, it's, and, from from my perspective i'd i'm a, I'm a massive burn fan love mm-hmm. his stuff and i'd i'd gone you know champions avengers captain america um a marvel team up um, mm. um x-men which utterly blew my mind and still i reread it regularly you know yearly yeah. i look at one of those issues and then we had fantastic four but we also had stuff like alpha flight as well which was like amazing i was yeah. so excited by that comic you know and then it was he, incredible yeah incredible and, stuff. and then he went to dc and then we had superman the superman stuff and i was with him i was with him i found his work a little looser it, it, mm. it wasn't quite as um much cleaner line to it because of dick giordano's inking yeah you. yeah it wasn't quite so um so poppery it wasn't quite as you know when you you had like the hellfire club in in X, x-men and stuff like that and he was a bit saucy you know something a bit edgy about it and um yeah. and, and with the, the stuff like swamp thing and um Watchmen and and all, and all the other books like that. Then you had this sort of adult thing that was pushing me towards it, really. And I sort of, I didn't fall off the burn tra- train. I was still buying it all, but I'd, my, mm-hmm. my my sort of magpie like attention was drawn to these other glittery things for a while. I think you know. Same, and yeah. and so don't don't forget. You know, it's like what you have to remember is that we'd had fifty years of comics like this. Yeah. Um. Uh. So the Man of Steel, with its kind of pure moral, black and white storytelling was it, it was it it was a look backward rather than a look forward but um you know to the grittier re- revamps of some of our most popular characters yeah yeah um so you know uh, where, whereas it's, it just was it, it was kind of a in simplifying it in simplifying it that's not necessarily what we were looking for at the time because you know we'd had crisis which was a complex story yeah, and then the dark yeah 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 right and then the dark night which was kind of just blew us out of the water because we'd never considered characters like being like that anymore yeah you know and then you read the man of steel and and you see it kind of as a sort of a dip like you know okay well that 
in in that year where it was getting grittier, more realistic, um, where we were telling stories, it was the beginning of telling stories that you know had much more depth and complexity uh, and and psychological elements to them. That that you know this simple tale of like a boy from Kansas who finds out he's an alien with superpowers and becomes the most powerful man in the world. You know, that kind of simplicity of storytelling. Yeah, yeah. which just, is what DC it, was, wasn't it, at the time? Right, you know? it, it yeah. just leaves you a little hollow, you know. Um, but but looking back on it and having had my fill of people trying to be gritty and controversial and you know, bloodthirsty, you know, it's it's kind of a palate cleanser for me to reread, to have reread The Man of Steel in context now and be like, Holy shit! This really was a work of genius. You know what you're getting. It just with him, don't was you? the you're wrong getting, time. Yeah, you're getting yeah. something fun, readable, and you know everything exactly. he does from the FF onwards. You know, um, but he, even more than that, I think that we don't appreciate the complexity of thought that he brought to that simplification. Yeah, because more often than not, it's what you leave out than what you keep in that's you know more yeah. more important. You know, less is more, and um, you know, it counts he, he in narratives. It, it counts in art. You know what Todd said about yeah. art. It yeah, counts in, in yeah. storytelling sometimes, you know. It brings yeah. you back to a place where there were there was so much more potential for this incredibly important character in DC. And if he had not done this, I don't think we would have gotten some of the Man of Steel stories that, you know, we have seen since then. Yeah. Yeah, agreed, man. You know, it, it had to happen. Uh, it was overdue. I'm glad that Marv Wolfman and John Byrne did it, you know. But I think, yeah, it it just doesn't get the kind of credit that it does, because it was so overwhelmed in its time in that year, moving forward, you know. And and you need to sometimes, you know, you need to take off the varnish a little bit and and the accretion of time and revisit these things to realize they were crucial at the time. Yeah. They were very important, you know. Yeah. And and it's burned. You know, this was. This was the penultimate work before Byrne kind of started fading. His his star started. Well, know, then we got him. He goes waning. back to Marvel, doesn't he? He does some stuff mm-hmm. at Marvel. Then he goes back to DC, and then we mm-hmm. get the the, um, the legendary stuff at um, Dark Horse, and yeah. and then yeah, it all becomes a bit more splintered so, at that point, you so, know. So I think the issue was that Byrne himself became jaded. Okay, so um, so reading, he was asked, "Would you do this again?" And he said, if I could go back in time and whisper in my ear when Dick called and said, put your money where your mouth is, I would say, no, I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't do the whole thing. (laughs) It should have been one of the most pleasant experiences of my whole life, but it turned out to be just an endless, endless pain, partly editorial, partly other writers, partly the powers that were. It was a death of a thousand cuts. And I finally said, "Okay, I'm leaving. And I look back now and say, I wish I hadn't done it. Wow. Wow. Okay, you know. That, I mean, Byrne speaks, if nothing else, Byrne is an absolutely honest broker. When he tells you something, you know. He doesn't put any punches, think, does he? Yeah. No. Yeah. And he said at the time, you know, <clears throat> they were merchandising the old Superman. They didn't use the new one. They were using like Kurt Swan, you know. So he, he's, I think it was, you know, you, you do He wanted them to be all massive. in on it, didn't he, I think. You know? Yeah, oh, absolutely. But he does go they back. He goes back and does Generations later right. on. Which, which is, is a three three miniseries, mm-hmm. um, yeah. Which is a f- fucking strange fish, but it, it does very strange. Many. Yeah, and it yeah. all kind of resets at the end, which is even, even yeah. better. But yeah. I think what what jaded him about that is he saw it was like, look, I did this thing, 
that was monumentally successful for you. And, um, you know, I took a huge risk in doing this. And you just didn't, you know, you, you just, you did what, this is where I think he finds out that being a company man is not such a fun thing to be. Yeah. Um, he, he, you know, DC kind of leaves him in the dust a little bit because they don't pick up and push this new Superman, you know? But I mean, he did go on to, he did Superman for two years for DC after this. It's not bad. He did, and he did a lot of issues. I have to say. I, so he, he commits to it. Yeah. I mean, he's committed to it. So yeah, you know, he's right. allowed to look back and, and evaluate that how he wishes. And it's there for us but, to read now, man. That's the thing. You know, it's, it's, there, that it's is available thing. to us. And, and I think, though, the, that had we lauded it a bit more at the time, I mean, uh, yeah, OK, he was an ego on legs at this particular time in his career. I mean, you know, he was sort of insufferable to a degree with sort of the how how good he was and uh, which would uh, happen to anybody in, in the spotlight. You blow but, that much smoke yeah. up people's asses. They're going to get Oh, like yeah. Look at people. Oh, these for days. sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, yeah. but you know, I think looking back on it, it really does deserve a reconsideration as, you know, if this hadn't happened a lot of what we have as far as DC today is, is, is something it wouldn't exist. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and I think in, in terms of burn, really, it would be nice if burn kind of understood his legacy a little more and appreciated that legacy I a mean, little more. I think. Part, part of me, I see, cause I'm going to bring you into this in and now is, is yeah. a part, part of me thinks about this. I think about this a lot. Now, comic creators are, I'm not going to say awkward because everyone's different, but they're you know ins you know they they don't when they're sitting at a drawing board they don't they don't have a huge a huge amount of company you know so sometimes they can be a little uncomfortable in their skins in um you know in big crowds and big environments and b- being a big deal which is what happened to him and it, it when you were talking about there that there cliff is something that I experienced recently <laughs> tabling near to in um, and he says. Um, he went to his first comic convention early on, and I think this was when he was still working on the chart and stuff. And he said, upon seeing the audience at the first comic convention, he wondered if his future lay elsewhere. Now, I've certainly sat at, behind a convention table recently at, at um, TCAF, at Bridlington, at Thought Bubble, and I've I've thought the same thing. You know, are these so really in, in, his people? Are these really my yeah. people? You know. When Byrne came to UCAC back in 87, um, he, uh, part of the reason he was there was that he was selling his, uh, his novel, his science fiction oh, novel. Oh, which try and buy these days on, um, is it called right. Fear State? Try and buy it on um, bloody eBay. It's about 150 quid. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So fear, he had written this novel. It's called, yeah. And I think he recognized that he was pr- probably, I think, in the, in the, in the the backlash of Superman and this kind of new generation of storytelling, realizing that he might have outlived his welcome. Right. And um, part of what he was saying was, well, you know, I'm, I'm investigating becoming a novelist and here, this is my new book. And he introduced it there. Yeah. And, um, you know, I think he recognized that, that there's a, you know, you're, you're the, the amount of, um, all that fame comes to an end at some point, you know, there's a cynical buying public and, and they can turn on you in a heartbeat. <laughs> so he was definitely looking for that out. I think but, at that time, but you, you must've sensed that before Ian looking around yourself at a convention and thinking, do I honestly fit with these people? You know, there's a certain sense of that. Yeah, I do quite, quite strongly at times, to be honest, Tony, because I think, um, 
coming coming so late to the comics as well, and you, you do I do get that imposter syndrome. Like I'm just turning up, I'm sort of stealing everything. Sorry to interrupt me. I don't mean that because I don't consider you to be an imposter in any in any way. Yeah. And I'm sure Cliff agrees with me. But the it's sort of well, not not entirely. I think Ian probably largely relies on his daughter's talent. For me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's it's just I find I'm not. These aren't because I have another life, you know, other life parts of my, you know, personality and working life and stuff. I just, I look at some of these people, and I think, and then yeah, not really, my a people, lot of the, you know, a lot of the people I meet are completely unrelated to any other walk of my life. <laughs> yeah. They're not like the people I work with. They're not like my family. They're not like the friends I grew up with. They're not yeah. like the friends I have now, other than the people who are in comics themselves. Yeah, and quite often, I, you know. When I was at Thought Bubble, I had a lot of lovely, lovely people coming up to the table um, that made the whole thing a really positive experience. But equally, I had a lot of people that I, I just found really strange and odd <laughs> and at yeah. times a bit rude. And you're just like, is this the right place for me? But I suppose without wanting to get all gushy, like meeting people like yourself and, and, and Cliff online and, and, and stuff like that, it, it, you realise there is another There is side a crowd somewhere, community. isn't there? Yeah. yeah. Everyone's got their own little niche, I suppose, and we all gravitate towards kind of like-minded people. And I mean, I have got to the point now where sometimes I sit at conventions and people come up to the table and I just, I can't contain myself. I just have to say, keep on walking. <laughs> I wonder sometimes if the, the, those same crowds that we're looking at thinking just to chime in here with a couple of anecdotes um, just oh, to put this go. into context with the old bravado one, one thing is is, um, is that I hear Ian and I met him online and I have wondered is this really the field that I want to get into and uh, the other one Tony <laughs> you're going to talk about that, that old spent... lady I spoke to for ages yeah that's the one. That's the one. Uh, this lovely old lady on and her walker and her accompanying very strange son with his very greasy hair at Heroes, who not only spent about 45 minutes talking to you on day one, came back on day two and spent another 45 minutes. She kept trying to take pictures of me. You. Didn't she get so can I take, take pictures, pictures of you? And uh, yeah, so, you know, I mean, um, I, I've heard tales. We're meeting her for dinner this. in New York. Oh, great. <laughs> Fantastic. I've heard tales of this gruff and bluss uh, Boney Esmond um, and um, how rough he is at, at, um, at the table. But uh, all I saw... When no, I you was, didn't. You saw we the rough in, end when we had food South gates. Carolina. You saw me. That, yeah. that was directed at me, a friend. <laughs> uh, the fries, fries gate was completely directed at me. All I saw w- with Tony Esmond outward presenting to the potential customers who came to the table was an absolutely charming and lovely bloke who really um, just was was very giving of his time. You, you missed so. you missed the uh, the half an hour before every day where the dudes at the table of our left. I just had smut talk with them. Oh, well, yeah, that's true. Yeah, I wasn't there for that. But I, like um, I, yeah. I, I mean, I, that could just be a story of making up. I mean, that said, <laughs> you did tell one of the most demented fucking stories I've ever heard <laughs> within earshot of John Romita Jr., who was literally, I could have reached out and grabbed his shoulder um, where we were standing. You'd, I'd, so, yeah. So there are many faces to uh, Tony Esmond, but uh, you, you were actually quite lovely to some of those sort of well, people. you're too kind. But I did feel the, the life draining from my head. 
whilst talking. Yeah, to him. and and yeah. and I, I take back what I said about Ian. He he is a lovely bloke. <laughs> He's so yeah. talented, and he just loves to share that talent. Yeah, in and your his face, daughter all has the time. taken it all. Yeah, yeah, you've been replaced, Ian. <laughs> Eva's coming. Okay. It's the it's the dawn of Eva, as we now refer to her, <laughs> Eva Burn. Yeah, there you go. He's gonna love that. <laughs> take, take down our old man. Yeah, that's how. That's how they, they. That's what we want him to do is replace us. Right. I know we've gone long now, and I know your time's limited, Cliff. So I'm gonna I'm gonna finish oh. with a Burnism before I, we we have a brief <laughs> chat with each of you. And it's a quote that the, the my favourite quote I heard him say is um um. Never ask, can I use... He used the, the made-up character Captain Fishbone for this. He says, never ask, can I use Captain Fishbone to write my kind of stories? He said, always ask the question, can I write Captain Fishbone stories? And oh, that's the best thing. So what he's saying is don't don't just use a character to write the stories you want to write. Apply yourself to the character. And I think... Yeah, don't put your agenda on it. Yes, and I think there's there's no time that's people need to listen to that more than now well i think if anybody if anything sums up how burn has handled his voluminous body of work that sums it up perfectly to me respecting the character yeah look at the ff look at the look at the blood of the demon you know this and i mean Mm -hmm. he did go off book occasionally with omac and stuff but look at doom patrol he took doom patrol way back to how they were long before Mm -hmm. morrison stuff like that yeah oh Deep respect for the characters, I think, you know. I, I didn't realise how drawn in I was going to get on Fantastic Four because as a group, they're not the kind of thing that I would gravitate to. Okay. I, I, I didn't think I was, I was like, oh, what should I pick? I, I was tempted by um, his Wonder Woman work. Yeah. But then I just thought, because you'd mentioned that issue, I thought, well, if I'm going to look at that issue, I want to look at the issues that, sort of lead up to it and come after it as well. And I'm so glad I did. Yeah. It's an absolutely amazing body of work, I think. It's so um, much. I mean just just like to... I, I was just so like blown away by how much I got into it, you know, and, and the fact that I was going back and buying more comics by him immediately after says it all as yeah. well, you know. Yeah, they're very readable, aren't they? That's the thing. Yeah. They're just good fun. I just wanted to name a few other ones that um people will know, I'm sure, but um Check out his Star Trek stuff. Some of it's absolutely crazy. Some of it's pretty good fun. Um, he uh, he was obviously Drew Hellboy for the first time in Next Men. People forget that. Yeah. Um, Danger Unlimited, which is kind of he kind of did a Fantastic Four thing, although he denies it. Denies it. That was a legendary um, a legend. Um, what else is there? His epic stuff, The Last Galactus story, incredible. Um, why there isn't a big hardback for? Oh, there is. I think it's just about to come out. She Hulk. His She-Hulk is just brilliant and predates the um, Deadpool breaking the fourth wall stuff. I've, I shared you one of the original graphic novel runs of uh, She-Hulk, yes. which I have. Yeah. Brilliant stuff. That was brilliant. in that original run of Marvel graphic novels, wasn't it? Sort of slightly oversized. Yes. Yeah, really nice. Um, Blood of the Demon is is really good as well. Generations is a bit crazy. Um, there's Assignment Earth, which is the Star Trek spin-off that comes from the original series. Gary Seven, if you remember that episode. Um, they go to Earth, and they were gonna, they were going to spin it off into a TV series, but never quite took off. Um, it's Iron Fist stuff. Probably one of my favourite things he ever did was the Thor versus Graviton fight in Avengers, which is just fantastic, absolutely fantastic. Um, also, he did Spider Man Chapter One. People forget about that. Um, 
there's so much there man there's so much he did he did justice league justice league classified um and he was also believe it or not the stepfather of kieran dwyer who we talked about a few episodes ago on captain america mm-hmm. um yeah after picking up his mum at a comic convention <laughs> hey, hey. yeah we're all, we, we've got time cliff no way. Yeah. No, I was just I was just saying, hey, you know. Yeah. If you if that's how you're gonna do it, do it that way. Yeah, exactly. Good. Yeah. Um thanks guys. It's good. I mean we didn't we didn't Thank we you. barely dipped into the the surface there, but yeah. it's nice to hear you two talk about it um as artists as well. Um quickly, because I know you got you you pressured for time, Cliff. Thanks for coming on. Uh, yeah, I do need to sorry, walk out of the door. I apologize. I could spend hours talking about John Byrne. Okay, uh, mate. I know you um, do, yeah. Good. So just to let you know, what, what have you got coming out, Cliff? And we'll say goodbye, and then I'll, I'll do a bit with um, Ian. So what have you got coming out? You got Lovely. Um, uh, nothing really coming out um, fairly soon. Um, Tony, you and I need to talk about Yes, we do. Yeah, I've, I've left um, it out already. Yeah. Excellent. Um, but otherwise, you can read my monthly column on small press in America and Maryland in particular at, uh, was it, substack.longbox.com. Yeah, I've subscribed. And Very good. Very good. Thank you. I know Ian has to uh, appreciate it. You are the only two. Um, and also, uh, you can find me on social media at CG Cumber. Great stuff, man. And um, we'll let you get going, man, because I know because of the time difference, you, you, you're during your working day. So uh, thanks, thanks for spending oh, yeah. your lunchtime but with us. Thank you. Uh, absolute pleasure. Yeah. Uh, just before you go. you go, thank you very yeah. much for um, the commission. Oh, yes, you're very welcome. Um, so just to give some context, uh, rather than spending my money getting an Ian Ashcroft original, I uh, got myself an Eva Ashcroft original yes. commission yeah. portrait of my cat. And it was brilliant. Yeah, really good. good. It, it, really I put good. it up on my Instagram. Just she's how old is she, Ian? She's 12. Yeah. Ridiculous. Hell. Absolutely ridiculous. Ridiculous. The next generation is just it was lovely to support you know such yeah. a fine artist um after after all i mean clearly uh you know given the influence of her father she's managed to break free into her <laughs> she's already spent the money as well so <laughs> she really? oh my god excellent hey it's been an absolute pleasure always a pleasure you, mate Tony. i'll see you in a couple Thank of you. days yeah 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 see you i'll see, see you, you by the i'll see you by the kirby art i'll see you there all right mate see you soon <laughs> take care Thank guys you, bye bye ian over to you my friend yeah. Um, yeah. So we last saw you at Bridlington. Now, Keir Wordsmith's coming on to Kickstarter soon. Is that right? Yeah, it is. It's coming. I think it's coming out on the seventh of October. I oh, don't right. know if that's. Yeah, I don't know if that's definite, but I think I think it probably is. I know Dave put all the pieces of the Kickstarter together, so I think we're just waiting to launch. He's just had um, his Western Noir book out on Kickstarter, so oh, I think okay. he's just giving it a week between that one and this one and i don't know if we were originally going to bring it out but i i kind of wanted it out this year get it yeah you know get it out there and i, I like to think that I can get a clear book out every year so that's I'd, good man i can see I, I think i think kickstarter seems to be going good guns at the moment and you're getting it in before christmas which is wise I think. yeah just yeah. really want to get it just because the last one came out just getting one out a year i think it's the way forward that's sort of like what me and dave sort of loosely stick to so yeah yeah i'm delighted i can't wait for it to come come out yeah it looks amazing man what i've seen of it yeah it does look really good yeah um and now you've moved over to is it right that will be coming out under time bomb time bomb comics is that right yeah it's it's all a bit um 
I don't want to speak out of turn because, you know, I'm not 100% on everything that's gone on. Yeah. Uh, but I, I don't think there's been any big bust up or, or anything like that. I think it was a very amicable sort of move. Um, Accent UK was really just Dave and his friend Colin. And it had been they, running they, quite they, a few years, isn't it? I think they just sort of oh, decided yeah. to call it a day, didn't they? I think that's these yeah, things I don't think they'll, yeah, I don't think you'll come across many um, indie or small press publishers that have been going for as long as they have. I don't yeah, think. I don't think you will, man. I think you're right. Yeah. And um, I think Dave just wanted another platform that was very sort of like progressive or whatever and i think time bomb they seem to be really expanding time bomb because they've got that jerry anderson license recently and stuff as well yeah yeah and now dave's on their board with steve tanner and you know when we were when we were um at portsmouth and met steve as well he's an he's a nice guy of course he was there wasn't he yeah Mm -hmm. yeah so i i just it's just it's nice to know that it's coming out. I, I'm just pleased it's coming out. To be, but to be yeah, honest, it's yeah. called Dave and Ian's comics for all I cared. I just wanted it out. But um, it's it's um you know, I I loved being part of Accent UK because they gave me a bit of a break. But it it's nice to have to be under Time Bomb as well, whichever. Yeah, and gets you into, under some new noses, so you've got double the fun. Yeah, that's you? it. Yeah, yeah, that's it. I, I'm hoping it, it does and. You know, it's it's just a night. It's a new chapter, isn't it? It's a new thing to look forward to. So yeah. we'll see where. Um, Good work, man. But yeah, thanks for that. Good but, stuff. Yeah. And obviously, the other thing is you're working with Uncle Pat. So we got Hellbreaker coming too. Um, yeah, we got Hellbreaker that's coming in twenty twenty three. Um, just the color pages are going down well, and um, at the moment, I'm just sort of we're sort of doing it in phases. I think we're sort of having like five pages, and then do another five pages and we're sort of almost treating it like a mini okay. a mini comic within a comic. So I'll d- work on five pages and then once we've cleared that. It and works not, the 2000 AD aesthetic, I suppose, as well, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. 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 I quite enjoy it because, you know, it's it's getting on for, for, well, it's 48 pages. And I think if I didn't have it broken up, it would feel a bit overwhelming, really. But that's just a, every every day, that's a pinch me kind of moment. I keep on having to... I think I'm allowed to say that I've seen some of them, haven't I? I think that's all right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah and it looks amazing, yeah. man. The colour the colour work on it and the character work on it. Fucking hell. Yeah, it's going to be character great. work is... The, I mean, we could we could put out a book right now on the character designs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Really There's been so many... You know, every character's gone through quite a number of changes. And then when you think the main cast were, all in, were already in place from the original... Hellbreaker that came out in Space Warp. It's been, it's been, that's been a real fun part of it. Yeah. Yeah. I was yeah. listening to Christian Wild Goose on your other pa- podcast and that was fascinating listening to him. And he was like, oh, I usually get them all sort of nailed down in one or two tries. And I was like, <laughs> you're a lucky man. <laughs> yeah. He lives, he lives for character design, which I think kind of think you do as well. Yeah. I, I love that bit of it. That is the, that is the fun bit, and then and then and altering it then so you can draw it over and over again. Yeah, um, yeah. That, that as an art as an artist, you know, overcomplicating it will be the bane of your life. But as a reader and an enjoyer of it, I kind of love the fact that they've got loads of sort of noodling bits to them and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Can't, I can't help it anyway. They're going to be like that anyway. It's just yeah, that's what makes it fun for me. I, I'm always fascinated, you know, when people talk about stripping back the character and stuff. I totally get that. I, I, you know, I love Toth's work and everyone else that people talk about. But for me, I, I, I love the heavily 
detailed, yeah. hand available work stuff. You know, well, your I stuff speaks to the Bond SNA side of the world, I think, often yeah. as well. You know, oh, yeah. I, I love, I, I've got loads of books that I can't even read because they're in French or Italian. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> I just yeah. buy them for the artwork because it's so stunning. Yeah, I get you. Um, yeah, brilliant. And um, from a point of view of conventions, um, I think you were saying just before we started, you were going to pop into Nottingham, but you, you're not tabling. Um, no, no, I mean, Dave might ask me to stand alongside him because I think he's going to be there. I oh, don't okay, know. cool. Uh, I, I'm just going to pop down and just see how the land lies. Yeah. I'm hoping to bump into Johnny Hartway. We've got a piece for him. And, um, you know, and if not, I'm going to go yeah. to Thought Bubble this year as well. Okay. So. I posted a comic to John Hartway quickly. To, um, he bought he bought my new comic very kindly. Yeah. Um, John's great. And I, on the front, the front page, I filled the T-shirt in of um, the main character and it just said I am not a murderer on it. <laughs> John is like such an people like John are so important I yeah they think. are yeah yeah I he, he he's as much a part of all this as anyone else he, like agreed man yeah. He, yeah he's really supported my art and, and he's got a story in DUI as well yes which is excellent I which love DUI yeah. DUI features a first story by my very good friend Paul Jones, which That's I was right. yeah, yeah, yeah. published. Just um it's just that was such a big moment and I'm really happy that Paul happened. did Paul come to the last drink and draw? I think he did, didn't he? he I didn't, so I can't say I for that. He, he has yeah. been to he has been to a couple of them. He's ah, a really cool. he's a he's a great lad and um, yeah. you know he he's writing a couple of great scripts at the moment. Oh good stuff, of, man. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, in fact, Damon's just texted me to ask me a question. I'm ready yet, but I suspect there you, go. there you go. Yeah. And and so you're going to do Thought Bubble as well, are you? Or yeah, I'd, I like going to Thought Bubble. You yeah. know, I've got, I've gone there as a punter and I've, I've stood behind the table a couple of times. Um, I'm really lucky because with Dave being Accent UK in now time, Bob, he gets a table and then he lets me just yeah, I don't have good. to pay for the table and just stand behind it and tell right. a bit of original art. Yeah. 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 Good stuff, man. And where can we find you online? Where can uh, where can people find you, and when can they buy your stuff? Um, Instagram, Ian Ashcroft Art, um, Facebook, Ian Ashcroft. Just um, I'm probably one. Of, you know, can't be too many of them. And um, Patron as well, which is Ian Ashcroft Art as well. Patron's the one that I'm really starting to put more time into. Just, yeah, just, I'm a big fan of your Patreon, man. There's, there's loads yeah. of stuff on there. Yeah, I'm, a, I'm a follower of it. It's very good. Yeah. Yeah, there's, I've tried to put loads up there. There's unpublished comics, whole comics, all the pencils to Kia issue three. So if anyone's interested, it's it's all there. And wow. I try and yeah. keep it as cheap as possible. So hmm. loads of Hellbreaker stuff goes up on there as well. Yeah. So. Yeah, no, it's good, man. Really good. Um, and thanks, man. Thanks. I appreciate that. And I really appreciate that you enjoyed it so much. That was um, really I lo- nice. I love it. I loved it. I I didn't think I'd get as much out. Well, what just out of interest, Tony, what would have been your book that you? Well, I might. I was thinking because we ran out of a bit of time there. I was going to chat yeah. to Cliff about it maybe at New York, but mine was. Um, I went backwards and forwards on a few. I was going to do the champions because I'm a big fan of the sort of kooky champions. Um, yeah. And he did. He did. I think three issues of that, but I ended up plumping for um, X Men: The Hidden Years because it's got this sort of really interesting history to it. Um, yeah. So you might hear about it in a future one, but uh, yeah, that's. Uh... Yeah, you should definitely do a John Byrne part two with Cliff while you're in New York. Yeah, maybe we'll... just do a little revisit to it. Yeah, there's we there's so much we haven't talked about there, 
that the yeah. I just whenever a um, an omnibus comes out of John Byrne, I buy it immediately. So I've got all the stuff like Doom Patrol and you know Man of Steel and Generations and um, Fantastic Four and um, X Men and all this sort of thing as well. So yeah, there's loads there just to grab off the shelf, which is always nice. I'm having to go through the mountain of long boxes in the back of my room. I'd love to see his black and white work because everything I've looked at so far has been pretty much cool. Yeah, his Star Lord stuff's nice. So that's in Marvel right. Premier Magazine. That's black and white, yeah. But it's you know the Star Lord in the Gardens of the Galaxy is nothing yeah. like that. It's much sort of sleeker, um, yeah. superhero space superhero stuff. You know, um, yeah, yeah. That's really beautiful stuff. Yeah, good stuff, Very man. Cool. Thank you yeah, for that. Definitely. Thank you for inviting me on. Always a pleasure, mate. Well. Yeah, always great insight. Yeah. And um, I'll say goodbye now, but we'll we'll keep chatting. I'm sure. All Thanks, right, man. Mate. See Bye. you soon.